Good morning, everyone. Hey, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11 and 12 is where we'll be in our Bible study time. If you're pretty new and you didn't bring a Bible, maybe you don't even own a Bible, that's okay. All the scripture we read today will be on the screen so you can follow along. If you have a smartphone, you might download the Bible app. That'll help you follow along when you're at Journey on Sundays. Or you can download our Journey Church International app, all the notes that are in your bulletin that help you follow along in the message. And all the scripture will be right there on your handheld device. You could actually email it to yourself at the end of the service in case you want to look at it again or send it to somebody else. Matthew 11 and 12. Um, Let me say something about how you can help us next weekend at Easter. So you heard Pastor Ryan mention that we've had over 500 people acknowledge making spiritual decisions in 2022 at Journey. More than 300 of those are over the age of 12 and have made a decision in this room in one of our Sunday morning services or in one of our student services. You say, Christian, what what do you think all those hands mean? Do you think all of those people really gave their lives to Jesus? Probably not. You say, do you think none of those people gave their lives to Jesus? Probably not. Um, Probably there was a big mixture of spiritual things going on. All we know is that people acknowledge to us, today I made a move towards Jesus. There may be somebody who not yet has given their life to Jesus, but they're one step closer because they acknowledge that day that I need him. There might have been some followers of Jesus who been following at a distance, or maybe they've been really disconnected spiritually, have recommitted their life spiritually. Certainly there are those who probably for the very first time gave their heart and life to Christ. They were saved, they were forgiven, they were changed. One of the things you can help us do is you invite your friends. Easter weekend will be one of those weekends people make spiritual decisions. If you bring someone with you who makes a spiritual decision, begin discipling them immediately. Say, what does that look like? If they're with you, Talk to them about the service. If you recognize that they've raised their hand, fill out a connection card for them. Take it to the connection center with them. Go with them to get their t-shirt and their resources. Don't know that they made a spiritual decision and be uncomfortable to say anything about it and just let them walk out without you acknowledging, hey, I saw today that you said you wanted to step into Jesus. How can I help you with that process? Because we'll learn in Matthew chapter 13 in just two weeks that as soon as someone hears the gospel for the first time, Satan wants to steal it before it can sink into their heart. So as Christian brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and neighbors and friends and teammates, when we have someone who the gospel lands on their heart for the very first time and they're like, I want that. We need to be the first one to take a shovel and scoop out some soil and turn it over on that seed so that Satan can't steal it away. So help us by doing the work of discipleship. If you bring someone who makes a spiritual decision, go with them to the Connection Center, talk to them about the service, see what questions they have. It might be uncomfortable. They might ask you things that you're not aware of, but you will help that seed begin to grow in their heart if you can acknowledge it. So think about that as you come. And I've already asked our church Saturday or Friday at 6.30, Saturday at 5, Sunday morning 9, 8.30, and 10.30. I'm asking who, people who regularly go to our church to come Friday, Saturday, or Sunday morning at 7 because I think 8.30 and 10.30 will be kind of a zoo. Just think it'll be really hectic. So if you'd be willing to come to Easter on Good Friday or Saturday afternoon when the weather's going to be really nice, skip that 33 degrees Sunday morning that it's supposed to be on Easter Sunday. Um, that would be huge. I think you'll have a good Easter experience and we'll leave plenty of, plenty of seats for people in the community who are going to experience our church for the first time. So today we're in the final week of a series that we're calling Revealed for Rest. We're looking at an invitation from Jesus to people who are tired, people who are weary, people who are a little burnt out, people who are a little run down. If that's you, Jesus has an invitation for you, and it really kicked off this series. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary 
and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, hey, tired people, I can help you. Hey, worn out people, I can help you. Hey, burnt out people, I can help you. Hey, people who the weight of the world has been on your shoulders, I can, I can help you if you will come to me. The last few weeks, we've kind of unpacked how Jesus helps us. In week one, we learned about stopping the everyday crazy pace of life so that we could lean into Jesus. Last week, we talked about freedom, how we could find freedom from things that tie us up, keep us scattered, keep us from growing. Specifically, if we'll learn to trust God to be God, and we'll let him be God and not try to be God ourselves, and if we will learn how to have enough humility to ask God and others for help when we really need help. And today, we're going to learn about the power of spiritual family through the power of the cross. So before we ever dig into scripture at our church, we always stop and pray and ask that God would just kind of get our heart ready to receive. So would you bow your heads with me here? And if you're watching online, take that deep breath that just kind of settles your soul into this moment. And just right where you are, just whisper this prayer to heaven. Just ask God to speak to your heart and to show you what you need to rest. God, we thank you that Jesus has been revealed to us for our rest. I pray that on this Palm Sunday service, that the power of the cross will be very evident and that the power of spiritual family to help us stay strong and finish strong will be really clear. Speak to our hearts. We're listening. We want to hear from you today. That's our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So we're going to start in Matthew 12, 38, and we're going to read the first word of Matthew 12, 38, and then we're going to stop and talk, and I'm going to give you a Bible study tip. Okay, Matthew 12, 38 says this, then, we're going to stop right there. If you have your Bible, circle the word then, because then is a great biblical word. It always sets the context for us to tell us that what we're getting ready to read is connected to what we've just read. So you never start a day of Bible reading with the word then, without stopping to say, okay, something that just happened that I need to know about. So we really can't start Matthew 12, 38 without going back to Matthew 12, 37 because somehow they're connected. Then is this contextual word that connects what we're getting ready to read with what we've just read. So what have we just read? Let's go back to last week. We read that Jesus was prophesied to be the Messiah. Jesus promised that he was the Messiah. And then Jesus gave proof that he could do what only the Messiah did. And we said last week for the people who were watching and who knew the prophecies, heard the promises and saw the proof that the only correct answer is then to believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah, but the Pharisees rejected him. They publicly rejected the prophecy, the promises, and the proof that Jesus was the Messiah. So he very publicly warned them and he gave them an ultimatum. We ended last week with Jesus saying this, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you absolutely cannot be forgiven. And we unpacked that a little last week, and we heard Jesus say that blaspheming the Holy Spirit is basically saying there's a way to connect to God other than through Jesus. The author of Hebrews 10 did a really good job for us last week in verses 26, 27, saying, if you think there's any other way on the planet to connect to God other than Jesus, you're really going to be sadly mistaken and you'll have no way to connect to God. So it's got to be through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So Jesus says, like, if it's not through me, it's not at all. And then Jesus says these words in Matthew 12, 33. He says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. 
Make a tree bad and the fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Somebody say then. 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 After that. Verse 38. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. I want you to see how this connects. Because Jesus just told these people who were rejecting him, Ultimately... What your life produces will tell me who you are. And the Pharisee said to Jesus, the same thing is true about you, so you go first. That's the first point of our message today, you go first. Jesus said, the way you live your life and the things you say about me will show whether or not you believe in me. And the Pharisees turned it right around on Jesus and said, but the things you do will prove whether or not we should believe in you, so you go first. You're saying our life's going to show you who we are. Your life needs to show us who you are. So go first. Do a sign. Then we might believe. And watch what happens. In verse 39, Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given it except. Somebody say the word except. It's very important to notice here that Jesus didn't say no. Like you would think that Jesus would like, would like say, you know what, you all can go jump in the lake. And then I'll walk by you on that water and they, like there's your sign, enjoy drowning. Like you would think like Jesus is telling these people, I'm here to help you. And they're like, prove it. This is where Jesus would say, you know what, Pro- like just prove yourself. Like get, like get out of here. But he doesn't. They're like, we want to see a sign. And Jesus says, okay, I'll give you one, but only one. And it's going to be really important. So please don't miss it. None will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They said, Jesus, do a sign. We might believe in you. And he said, okay. You go first. And he said, okay. Now, what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? For those of you who didn't grow up in church, for those of you who didn't have a flannel graph in Sunday school, for those of you who didn't get to put jo- Jonah inside the whale, for those of you who've never watched Veggie Tales or been to Branson, Jonah, <laughs> like, is anyone in here like that? Yes, a lot of people, hopefully. Um, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel. He's one of the most unique prophets in biblical history. Uh, Israel under King David, who killed Goliath, was a united kingdom for a period of only about 80 years after David became the king of Israel. Then they had a civil war, and the northern half of Israel was called Israel. The southern half was called Judah. And Israel very quickly drifted from God because Israel only cared about two things. One, that the national military was really strong, and two, that the national economy was really, really good. If military was strong and economy was good, they would always drift from God because their heart was more tied to the nation and their money than it ever was to the God of heaven. So the God of heaven would raise up these prophets to go speak to his people on his behalf to say, y'all need to come back to God because you've kind of gotten off center a little bit. Jonah's one of the few prophets in the Bible who's called to go speak to a king who's not Israeli. Like, he's not called to speak to the people of Israel. He's called to the king of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was the Russia of its day. Assyria was the bully who conquered whoever they wanted, whoever got in their way in the day. Historically speaking, the Assyrian military was one of the most brutal and powerful regimes in the history of the world. They were very, very sinful. 
And God told Jonah, I want you to go tell their king if he doesn't stop sinning that they're like, I'm just going to kill them all. And Jonah said, no. No, I'm not going to do that. We know one of the reasons he didn't want to do it is because he's racist. And we know even after they repented, he said, I knew they were going to do this and they shouldn't, they, they don't deserve to do it because they're Babylonian. They're not like ethnically pure Jews. They should not be able to be forgiven by the Yahweh, the Jewish God of heaven. So he had a little racism in him, but he probably was also scared to death that if I show up, what like this kingdom, this nation, this king, they just kill anyone who disagrees with them. Like God, there's no way. So from modern day Israel... Nineveh would be kind of up in modern-day Turkey. Jonah instead got on a boat and was sailing to northern Africa. He's like, not only am I not going to Nineveh, I'm going in the exact opposite direction. Huge storm sweeps the boat up. They almost start to wreck. Guys on board are like, we think, it feels like the god of the ocean is trying to kill us. And Jonah's like, no, it's just mine. And they're like, what did you do? And he's like, he told me to do this. I said, I, like, I rejected him. I think he's rejected me. Just throw me in the water. You'll be good. They do the storm stop, and a big fish swallows Jonah. Three days later, spitzing back out in Israel, and God knocks at his door again and said, Hey, um, don't know if you remember, but here's the mission I have for you. And Jonah goes, and he carries it out. And after being, after being declared dead for three days, he raises back up, and he goes and tells this evil nation, If you will repent, you can receive grace from the creator God of heaven and live in relationship with him. And they all do. That's the sign of Jonah, any young Jewish person 2,000 years ago. Anyone in the crowd would have known when Jesus said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, that Jesus was saying something like this. You're going to think I've been rejected. You're going to think I'm dead for a period of about three days. But after you believe that I'm dead, I'm going to come back from the dead. And my message to the world is going to be this. If you will repent, you can receive grace from the God of heaven. And you can live in relationship with him. Like... I could do a lot of things for you, but that is the most important thing I can do for you. So don't miss the sign of Jonah. Here's what was happening. The Pharisees were asking Jesus for a sign of the crown. Prove that you're the king of Israel. Jesus said, no, but I will give you the sign of the cross. Because that is way more important to your soul. Remember, like prophecy of the king of Israel. Promise of the king of Israel. Proof that Jesus is the king of Israel. And then someone says something like this. Could this be the son of David? That's where we started last week's message. Son of David, messianic title. They were asking, is this the king? Is this the Israeli king who's come to conquer our enemy? Is this the Israeli king who's come to conquer Rome? And Jesus is like, yes, I am the messianic king who's come to conquer your enemy. But your enemy is not Rome. The primary spiritual enemy of your heart is your sin. And unless I go to the cross before I put on the crown, there is no payment for your sin. You see, the Israeli people of 2,000 years ago, like many of you sitting in here today, were convinced that the primary problems in their life were because of what was happening around them. And they thought if we can figure out what's happening around us, and what's in us will feel different. And Jesus said, no, your primary problem is not what's going on around you. Your primary problem is what's going on inside of you. You've not made peace with the grace of God yet and been connected to the God of heaven. So on this Palm Sunday, we never forget that the cross always comes before the crown. Somebody say cross before crown. That is the message of Palm Sunday, that if you miss 
you will repeat Palm Sunday. Because on Palm Sunday, Jesus came riding over the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, and a whole lot of people were celebrating him because they thought they were going to put the crown on his head, and the crown on his head would mean a crown on their head. They were going to rule and reign with this messianic king forever. And when he went to the cross before he put on the crown, they were like, yeah, we're not really interested in that. And there is a movement among American Christianity today that sounds a whole lot more like the crown before the cross than the cross before the crown. But that's not what the book says. Jesus said, take up your... Are you sure it wasn't crown? Yeah, even people who are pretty casual to church is like, doesn't sound right, take up your crown. Take up... No, it's take up your cross. And there's this movement going on that says, like, if you will connect to Jesus, boy, you can put on the crown. Health and wealth and prosperity and nothing ever goes wrong. And then when life circumstances make it feel like there's been a cross sat on our back spiritually, we think we've done something wrong. When actually Jesus said, the things that bring you closest to me feel a whole lot more like crosses than crowns. Amen? Amen. And they heard at the time. But the way of the Savior is the cross before the crown. The Pharisees were like, fix our problems. And he said, I will. But your primary problem is the sin in your heart. And to fix that, I have to go to the cross. The cross has to come before the crown. And we can't forget that spiritually. Look at verses 41 and 42. He said, if you don't put the cross before the crown, you're going to be judged by people like Nineveh, by people like the queen of Saudi Arabia 3,000 years ago. Jesus said the men of Nineveh are going to stand up at the judgment with this generation. And they're going to condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, also known as the queen of Sheba, Saudi Arabia, will rise at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. You know, when we look at what Nineveh and the queen of the south represented, we saw what the people of Israel wanted that would not fix their soul. Nineveh had no natural predators in the days of Joseph, in the days of Jonah. You say, what do you mean by that? They weren't afraid of anything. There was nothing that could bring them down or make them have a bad day. They were the most powerful nation in the history of the world at the time Jonah was living. They feared nothing and nobody. They couldn't have had a problem in the world unless there really was a God in heaven that demanded perfection because they were a sinful people. So when Jonah showed up and said, I don't have much to offer you, and I know I can't defeat you, but you are a sinful people, and a holy God would like to live in relationship with you, but you have to repent, they did. They didn't need a stronger military. They didn't need a stronger nation. But they knew they had spiritual needs. And when Jonah said, I can help you meet those, they repented. Who was the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba? Probably from the modern-day region of Saudi Arabia. She led one of the most economically prosperous times in all of Middle Eastern history. She didn't need any money. There's nothing anyone could have given her to give her a better life than she had. The only thing she lacked was knowledge about the God of heaven. And she heard there's this king in Israel named Solomon who has insight into who God is and how God wants you to live. And she brought him so many gifts, so much money. She said, really, there's nothing you can give me that I don't have except a spiritual awareness of who your God is because I'm not sure. 
Jesus said, Nineveh and the queen of Sheba are going to rise up against this nation because here's what you want, Jewish leaders. You want a strong military. Nineveh had one. They were still broken because they knew they had spiritual needs. You want more money. The queen of the south had all the money she would ever need, but she was broken because she had spiritual needs. And what you are asking me to do is fix your army and fix your economy, but you're not recognizing your spiritual needs. And if I don't fix those, you won't have peace. So it's interesting, the Pharisees, they thought that the external issues in their life were calling all, causing all their stress. Fix the army, fix the nation, fix the economy, fix the bank account. They thought the external problems of the world were causing their stress. But Jesus said, no, no, no. It's the internal things that are wearing you out. It's the internal things that are burdening you. And I could fix everything in your life. But if I don't fix your heart and how it knows me and how it trusts me and how it leans into me, I cannot help you at all. If I can't fix your heart, I can't fix you at all. Jesus actually says, if your heart rejects what I'm saying, it's actually going to get worse, not better. He said in verse 43, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest, but it doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition, if you have your pen out, circle those three words or underline them, the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it's going to be with this wicked generation. Jesus says if you miss the cross, if you miss the sign of the cross, you're going to miss the Savior. And if you miss the Savior, you're going to miss the invitation to be at peace in your heart with God. And if you miss that invitation, listen, you're not going to be weary and burdened. You're going to be more weary and more burdened. It's not going to get better and it's not going to stay the same like if you miss the cross you miss the savior if you miss the savior you miss the peace that you can have with god if you miss that it's only going to get worse the final condition after rejecting jesus is going to be worse than before you even ever knew about jesus it's interesting because he told the pharisees like i'm going to know who you are by how you live your life and they're like same thing could be said about you jesus you go first Jesus was telling the Pharisees, I will know how much you love me by how you live with your life. And the Pharisees were basically saying, we'll know how much you love us by how you live your life. So what are you going to do to prove it? And Jesus said, look at the cross. See, Jesus was willing to go first to prove his love for you before he asked for any of your love in return. But if you miss the cross, you miss all that. And as we approach Easter weekend, you're going to have people who say, like, hey, I would follow God if like, I knew he was for me. This is the week to say, he is. Look at the cross. People would say, if I, if I only knew that God knew me and loved me, if I, only, if I only could prove that God cared about me, I'd be open to who he is. Easter is the week to say, I can prove that. I can show you a picture of that. Look at the cross. The cross has to come before the crown. And when we get that wrong in our own faith journey, life feels a whole lot more like crosses than crowns. It makes us wonder if we should quit. It makes us wonder if we got it wrong or if God's getting it wrong. But when we do it the Jesus way, sign of Jonah, cross, and then the crown later, we can lean into one when we're suffering who's suffered for us. 
We can know that he cares about us because of his act of love for us. So the Pharisee said, Jesus, you go first. Prove to us that we can trust your care for us. And he said, okay. And on Friday of this week that we call Good Friday, he proved it. He put his money where his mouth was, and he let him hang him on a tree in the shape of a cross to say, this is how much I love the world. And like Jonah, you think God rejected me, and I'm dead, but give it three days. Give it three days, because I'm, I'm not just coming back, I'm coming back with the message, and here's the message. If you will repent of trying to do things on your own, the God of heaven will receive you in relationship and give you all the rest and peace that you ever need. You go first. But it's more than that. Jesus, Jesus didn't just show us that he was going to go first in his love. He also gave us the final piece of the formula for how we could finish strong. So the first point of the message was really the Pharisees saying to Jesus, you go first. The second point of the message is Jesus saying to us, I want you to finish strong. I want you to finish strong. And what Matthew's going to give us at the end of Matthew chapter 12 is going to teach us how to finish strong. Remember, this series is called Revealed for Rest. It starts with an invitation of coming to Jesus for rest. Here's that invitation, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is inviting us to rest, and as a church, we've been unpacking this rest for the last three weeks. Let's throw it up on the wall and just see what we've learned. H- how do we rest? Well, first, we have to come to Jesus. It is the only thing that puts our soul at rest. The people of Nineveh will tell you, you can have everything you need in life, but if you're not connected to God, you're not at rest. The queen of the south can tell you, you can have all the money you ever need, but if your heart is not connected to God, you won't be at rest. So we come to Jesus. We, we learn to stop every day, every week, every quarter, every year. We learn to Sabbath so that we can run towards Jesus at least once a day and once a week in a way that will build our soul. We learned last week that we can find freedom in humbly trusting the work of Jesus. We just trust his heart towards us, and we trust his heart towards our world, and we live the way he tells us to live. And we learned today that we remember that the cross comes before the crown. But there's one final piece that may be the biggest piece of how we rest, stay strong spiritually, finish strong spiritually, and it's in verses 46 through 50. Let's look at these last four verses of Matthew chapter 12. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, hey, your mom and your brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that is my brother and my sister. That is my spiritual family. So what's the final step to finding rest? You have to find your spiritual family. You got to find your spiritual mother and father, and you got to find your spiritual brothers and your sisters, and eventually you have to become a spiritual father and a mother. Like the final step to living at rest spiritually is to know who your spiritual family is. And this is a really fascinating text. In Mark chapter 3, we see a similar story with a little more behind-the-scenes info. And we realize his family, his mother and his brothers, came to this Bible study this day to try to bail him out because they thought he, that he was out of his mind. 
literally that he was standing up to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. They said, we better go rescue him before he gets himself in trouble. So they stood outside not to say, hey, do you want to grab some Chick-fil-A together like after church? They have church on Saturday in Israel, so Chick-fil-A would be open after church. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, They weren't saying, hey, let's connect when you're done. They were saying we're not in full agreement with what you're doing spiritually right now. So we want you to come back to where we are spiritually so we can talk about this. And Jesus said, for me to stay strong and stay on mission, I have to be around people who are living the same spiritual life as I am. Now we know Jesus' mother would obviously start very well and finish very well in her faith journey. We know that Jesus' brothers, who were not believers of his mission and his ministry before he was resurrected, would become leaders in the church. James, one of his little brothers, would write one of the New Testament letters. Jude, another one of his little brothers, would write one of the New Testament letters. So the resurrected Jesus changed their life in a powerful way. But on this day, they were saying, Jesus, here's where you are spiritually. Here's kind of what we got going on. We need you to, we need you to come be a part of us. And he said, I can't do that. And some of you have families like that. They misunderstand what you believe and why you believe it. They might even totally disagree with what you believe and why you believe it. And you may live in one world of spiritual faith walk, and they live in another world of spiritual faith walk. And your friends and family will almost always try to get you to come back to their understanding of what a faith walk looks like. It's just more comfortable if everyone can be on the same page. And Jesus says, yeah, I can't can't do that. Where God has me right now and where God has me going, i got to be surrounded by my spiritual family. So let me ask you a question. like, Who is your spiritual family? Because if you want to stay strong when the cross gets heavy and if you want to finish strong with the cross on your back, you're going to have to have some spiritual family. I can't tell you how important it is. Solomon, who was the king of Israel, who the queen of the south came to hear from, wrote a book in our Old Testament scriptures called Ecclesiastes that a lot of scholars believe was his deathbed diary. At the end of his life, he looked back at all the good, the bad, and the ugly and kind of said, here's what I've learned from all that, from my whole life. It says this in Ecclesiastes 4. If you have your Bible, you might go ahead and flip there because it's, like it's, it's, it's some of those verses you should have underlined in your Bible. I always underline verses that like if I were ever to be traveling and leave my Bible on a plane and somebody opened it and only read the underlined parts, they'd get the really good spiritual truth. This is like some of that really good spiritual truth that the whole world should know. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon's reflecting on the lessons that he's learned in life with both a lifetime of experience and a mind that God has given him spiritually. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they're going to keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Solomon says, I feel sorry for people trying to do life on their own. Because not if they fall, when they fall. A lot easier to get up if somebody's there to help you. And man, when the world gets real cold-hearted, sometimes friends and family get real cold-hearted because of your faith walk. Man, it sure is nice to have a friend. Two friends that are spiritual family are even better. So how do we go about making sure we have spiritual family? I think there's really two ways, two primary ways that I think our church can help you 
fine spiritual family or half spiritual family. Say, what are those ways? The first one is kind of a process way. We have what we call at our church kind of our our partnership system. Uh, We have a a four-week class called Growth Track. And the last step of Growth Track, Growth Track Step 4, it happens every week at 1030. Today they're doing Step 2 because we're the second Sunday of the month. At the end of Step 4, you literally are put into serve groups and discipleship groups with people who could be your spiritual family but who you haven't met yet. You ever met a relative for the first time at like a family reunion? Like, I didn't even know we were related our whole life. Like, here we are. Growth track spits you out into a spiritual family reunion. You literally are put in serve groups with people who like the same things you like. They like to do the same things you like to do. They, they feel purpose the same way you do. They're doing what you would like to do. You're put on a team with them so that you can find spiritual family. You're also spit out in a discipleship track that says these people are all at the same place you are spiritually or that you want to learn the same thing spiritually. So we're going to like put you together and it's kind of like spiritual speed dating. It's like, hey, just go serve with this team for a while. Just go sit in this track for a while. We think that you all are enough like each other that we're going to match you. I really do believe if you went through the process of growth track and then you took 90 days, just three months of the year to join a serve group or a discipleship group that you would begin to develop spiritual family by the end of that semester. I believe that with all my heart. I've seen it happen, Ryan, hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of times at our church. We've seen stuff like that happen, right? But like Proverbs says, like you got to be friendly to have friends. So like you got you to step out and try to do that. You say, what if I like my people? What if I like my family? What if the most important people to me in my life aren't Jesus' people, but they're my people, and I don't want to ditch them? I would say, one, your heart is in the right place, and I'm glad you're thinking that and feeling that. Because the other way to have spiritual family when you don't have spiritual family is to begin the ministry of bringing, of basically saying, my people, my social, my social circle that is not yet my spiritual circle is so important to me that I don't want to leave them to join a spiritual circle. So I'm going to try to bring them into my spiritual circle. I'm going to try to bring my people, my family, my friends. I'm going to try to bring the people in life who love me but not Jesus yet. And I'm going to try to really help them find out who Jesus is. And I'm going to pray before I walk away from social family, I'm going to see if they'll walk towards Jesus. Because wouldn't it be awesome if think it could be the same thing yes it would and weekends like easter are set up for that second option i've got people in my life who don't yet love jesus they're making my life harder spiritually because they don't love jesus but they're making my life better socially because they love me but i want to be strong spiritually i want to finish strong bring them to hear who jesus is see easter weekend is one of those weekends where i as clearly and as simply as i know how paint a picture of who Jesus is and I ask people to come and follow him and if you have people in your life your people who are not yet Jesus people my promise to you is if you will do the ministry of bringing I promise I'll I will show them clearly enough who Jesus is that you'll know if they'll ever be into him by the way they react and lean in at the surface but you got to do the hard work see it sounds like both of those are hard work they are Joining a serve team, joining a discipleship group, bringing friends who don't love Jesus, all of it's hard. Let me tell you what's harder, going through life alone. It's hard to stay strong and finish strong going through life alone. So we do the work. 
We do the work of meeting spiritual family. We, doing, we do the work of bringing social family and pray they become spiritual family. And as you enter Holy Week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, I hope kind of two things will be rolling around in your head and heart all week long. One, the cross before the crown. That's, that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus' people are. The cross before the crown. And two, spiritual family's a must. The only thing harder than finding or leading people to become spiritual family is going through life with no spiritual family. You're going to do hard work one way or the other. So we might as well do the one that's the most rewarding. Amen? As we close our service today, I'm going to pray. If you don't know Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to connect your heart to the God of heaven if you feel like God is calling you to do that today. When I say amen, there will be a little guy sitting in our baptismal tank who's going to be baptized. We'll get to celebrate and hear his story. Then after he's baptized, our worship team is going to come up, and they're going to close us with a song of worship. But let me tell you how our prayer team is structured today. Jesus said where two or three people are gathered, praying together, be right in the midst of them. And we wanted today's prayer time to very specifically be for you, for the people that you might be inviting to come with you on Easter, that you can have someone pray for them by name out loud before you start this week of moving towards them. That before you talk to them about Jesus, you'll talk to Jesus about them. So our spiritual care team, once the baptism is over, will be down here. And just like at our first service, my hope is if you're planning to invite somebody and you really want them to see who Jesus is and become a follower of his, that you'll come up to one of our spiritual care team members and say, here's who I'm inviting, here's what their name is, here's why I think maybe it might be hard for them to follow Jesus. And just let them pray over you. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus is right in the midst. And then when our worship team's done, we'll dismiss everyone and we'll go have hopefully a highly, highly impactful and deeply meaningful Holy Week together. Would you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. If you do not have a personal relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus, that is your next step today. The people of Nineveh will tell you you can have no natural predators. You can be on the top of the world. But if your heart's not right with God, you'll never be where you want to be. The queen of the south will tell you you can have everything that you ever need without a care in the world. But if your heart's not right with God, you're not going to be where you want to be. If you're here today and maybe you've got everything but your heart is empty, maybe your heart is empty because you've got nothing or everything's been taken from you. Only Jesus can fill it. And you can receive him today by faith which means you don't understand it all, but you're willing to believe it all because you feel like the God of the universe has spoken directly to you today. You can pray something like this, heads bowed, eyes closed. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your heart to heaven, you could repeat something like this prayer out loud. You could just say, Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me. Jesus, I need you and the rest that you offer. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of the hurts and lead me into my future. Today I want to commit my life, my future, my eternity to Jesus. Clean me up from the inside out and let my life have purpose for you. Jesus, I commit my heart and my life to you. If you just prayed that prayer today like 500 people have acknowledged praying just this year at our church. You've taken a step towards Jesus. We'd love to know about it. At the end of the service, we'll let you know how you could tell us so we can begin leaning into your spiritual journey with Jesus. For the Christians in the room, 
heads still bowed, eyes still closed, but hearts open. The cross before the crown, how's that hit you? Do you struggle in moments where it feels like the crown has been stripped away and the cross is really, really heavy? That is the way of Jesus. Lean into that truth. Spiritual family, how's that hit you? It's painful. It's hard to find it. It's more painful and harder not to have it. Would you ask God to help you? Maybe the people you're bringing this Sunday? Maybe the steps you need to take. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his mission was cross before crown because had he worn the crown into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, all of us who needed a cross 2,000 years later would not be able to be helped. But because the cross came first, our lives can have rest. And God, thank you for the truth of spiritual family, spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters who help us as we walk through life. Let us find that and become that for others. As we get ready to celebrate baptism, Jesus, we thank you that you're still working. We remember that Revelation 12 says, the things that defeat the spiritual enemy are the blood of the lamb and the testimony of his saints. So as Kyson shares his story today, Lord, we chalk up another win for Jesus, the Savior of the world. And we say thank you. And we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.